We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Everybody and welcome to this post-game edition of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Scani Sports. I am a writer for Cheesehead TV. Uh, today, we have no special guest for you. This is just a full post-game breakdown of the Packers' 31-17 loss at the hands of the New England Patriots. Obviously, in New England, Goat versus Goat, Brady versus Rodgers. Lots to talk about today, including the play of Aaron Rodgers, the fumble by Aaron Jones, the injuries and defensive performance as a whole, and where kind of Green Bay goes from here, obviously not a lack of topics to comment on. I think a lot of people disappointed, obviously, in the 31-17 to loss. You know, the Patriots were always going to be a really, really difficult to beat in New England. But I think going into the Rams and Patriots game, the way that a lot of people had kind of thought about this was they got to steal one of these. You know, there's two really tough teams. They've got to figure out a way on the road to beat one of these really good teams and really, they had the opportunity in both games to potentially put some pressure on the opposing team. It wasn't a foregone conclusion that they would win if things went right. But two fumbles really kind of uh, put that all to rest and, and didn't give them the opportunity to maybe win a game that they could have. So let's start by just kind of touching on a brief summary of the game. Packers deferred the kick. Uh, they've been doing this all year, and really, basically, it hasn't worked. So the Patriots get the ball first, and they come out just on absolute fire. Uh, they exploited some matchup problems, and Green Bay couldn't really get off the field to kind of make the substitutions that they needed. 
give Bill Belichick a ton of credit here. He noticed a couple things and his staff noticed a couple things that Green Bay struggled with last week specifically and certainly throughout the season. Uh, they noticed last week that when Todd Gurley was lined out, uh, lined up out wide and, and uh, Oren Burks was on the field, that they were able to get that matchup one-on-one. In fact, uh, the Rams on a really beautiful play call were able to exploit that matchup for a touchdown. Green Bay didn't switch the playoff very well and uh, New England kind of took advantage of that. They were able to early in that drive get James White matched up one-on-one against Oren Burks, and they were able to have success with that. And then another thing that was kind of low-key, really disappointing about the defense last week is that there were about four or five times, at least four that I can remember, where Green Bay was not set when the Rams were ready to make their player ready to, you know, kind of get under center. And it didn't really kill the Packers uh, last week, but there were a couple plays where it could have. In fact, there was a play, uh, Jair Alexander obviously had an amazing game against the Rams, but there's a play where he doesn't get set and then he doesn't recognize where he's supposed to be in coverage and the Rams have a receiver basically wide open in the red zone, uh, in the end zone, excuse me, and uh, Goff didn't see him and it ended up working out okay. But there were four-ish, at least four or five times where Green Bay was not set uh, against the Rams. And you could tell on that first drive that the Patriots took advantage of it. And uh, Green Bay was not set. They were not matched up at times. There were defenders running into each other. And New England, give them you know credit here, but they went right down the field. Warp speed and scored a touchdown. It was 7 nothing Patriots before you even had a chance to really grasp what was going on. Uh, Packers responded. Uh, they came back and uh, you know put a pretty decent drive together. Uh, stalled out deep in New England territory. Uh, they kind of featured Aaron Jones a little bit on that drive. Kind of would have liked to see him featured a little bit more, you know, towards the red zone. Uh, but they were able to get a field goal on it. At least respond with points and make it seven to three. Uh, Green Bay and New England then kind of exchanged a couple punts before New England got another field goal to make it ten to three. Uh, then another couple punts by each team uh, before Green Bay goes 79 yards on 13 plays. Really no huge plays on this drive. Aaron Jones had two runs over 10 yards, uh, which certainly helped. And then it was really capped off by, you know, kind of Rodgers scrambling around in the red zone before he was able to kind of direct Devontae Adams. And Devontae Adams, of course, did another great job of uncovering, and they were able to tie it up 10 to 10. Patriots came right back, run it right down Green Bay's throat with Cordero Patterson. Uh, He had a really nice drive. Green Bay had no answer for it. James White actually got hurt on the play. I'm kind of thinking to myself, you know, yeah, it's really nice to get White off the field, but uh, Cordero Patterson can be obviously a very explosive player, and he's kind of had a little bit of a history of kind of being a Packer killer, usually on special teams. Uh, But I was a little bit nervous about that, and it kind of came to fruition. Uh, He was able to, you know, really, you know, kind of run it right down Green Bay's throat. They had no answer for it. And they went up 17-10. to 10. Uh, Green Bay punted, New England kneeled, and we kind of went into halftime with that 17-10 to 10 score. Not a brutal way to start the game. I think, you know, for the most part, if you would have told me Green Bay kept it close and was able to keep it at 17-10 to 10, uh, through the first half and had opportunities to even maybe be a little bit better than that, especially the way New England just sliced through them in that first drive, I would have said, okay, 17-10, Green Bay gets the ball to start in the second half. We can live with that. And in fact, uh, Green Bay comes out at halftime. They hit on a 51-yard completion on third down to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, um, finishes the drive with a 15-yard touchdown pass from Jimmy, or excuse me, from Aaron Rodgers to Jimmy Graham to tie the game at 17. And we've got a ball game. 
and then we have another punt by each team before really Green Bay drives down, really mid to end third quarter, drives down to New England's 34-yard line, and this, of course, is where everything changed. They hand the ball, hand the ball to Aaron Jones, who has had a fantastic season and a fantastic career in Green Bay by all regards when he's been given the opportunity. Uh, this was really his first main egregious error. He fumbled, puts it on the ground, Patriots recover, and really that was all New England needed to seize control in this game. And as we've seen now in two straight weeks, when you're playing a team like the Rams or playing a team like the Patriots, you cannot make these type of mistakes. These are game-changing, season-changing mistakes that can't happen. You know, last week it was Ty Montgomery. This week it was Aaron Jones. You make these type of mistakes. You put these type of turnovers, uh, you know, on paper for the other team to take advantage of. And the other team, like the Patriots and the Rams, they're going to take advantage of it. There's no question about it. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, New England came back and, you know, really this wasn't just a, you know, Green or Green Bay made a mistake. New England was going to take advantage. They went right for the throat. So the first, you know, drive here after the fumble, they ran a double pass screenplay from Edelman to White. If you don't remember, Edelman was actually a quarterback in college. They moved him to receiver. If you really, really want insult to injury, I'm not sure how many of you know this story, uh, but Edelman was a late seventh round draft pick. Green Bay actually had Julian Edelman and his agent. They had him signed to an undrafted free agent contract if he were to go undrafted. And New England actually uh, was able to swipe him away with a super late seventh round pick. Otherwise, he potentially, well, not potentially, he was going to be a Green Bay Packer. Who knows if he would have made it as a receiver and still gone on to do the things that he did. But long story short, he was a quarterback in college. They ran the double pass to him, and uh, he threw it to James White. They had an amazing screen pass set up, uh, and uh, they were able to get that 37 yards down the field, and eventually they capped it with a one-yard run with James White to make it 24-17 Patriots. Packers punted, and then another uh, Patriots touchdown followed that directly after. 55-yard pass play from Brady to Gordon. This was another right-for-the-jugular type play. They read something with Green Bay. They basically ran uh, a fake bubble screen. Both Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson jumped on it. They had Edelman wide open. I'm not exactly sure why uh, why Brady didn't hit Edelman on the play. He's wide open. Instead, they go to Josh Gordon, who was still open, uh, but Tremont Williams is over the top. Tremont Williams does not make a play, does not make the tackle. To be somewhat fair, you know, Josh Gordon, you know, absorbed the hit and bounced right off and just kept going. He's a beast, but uh, Tremont couldn't make the tackle, and uh, Gordon took it 55 yards to the house, made it 31-17. That was midway through the fourth, and really that was all she wrote from there. Uh, Packers would turn it over on downs on their next drive. Patriots ran out the clock for the remainder of the way, and you ended up with a final score, of course, of 31-17 to Patriots. So some highlights of the game, obviously a disappointing result, uh, but there were still some highlights out there. Really, the defense had a stretch against Brady where they held him, I think it was five or six straight incompletions. It might have even been seven, uh, which was the highest of his career. Uh, And really when it was tied 17-17, mid-third quarter, Packers had the ball deep in New England territory before the fumble with Aaron Jones. Really, things were kind of looking pretty good from a defensive standpoint. Again, in fact, you know, that that first drive was phenomenal by the Patriots. They had everything scouted correctly. Green Bay really made some adjustments and really only allowed 10 points, you know, through the rest of the, you know, the game from the rest of the first quarter, all of the second quarter, and midway through the third. I know it's still 10 points, but against Brady and the Patriots in New England, you know, you kind of expect a little bit of, you know, a little bit of that. But then as soon as, 
you know, the fumble happened. It, they were completely on their toes again, and uh, it was a great screen pay, play with uh, Edelman to, you know, James White, uh, but they were never really able to respond from that point. And, uh, it, you know, but at least at minimum from a highlight standpoint, there was a stretch where they were able to keep Brady down and keep the Patriots, you know, offense off balance. I thought Mike Patton had some creative play calls in there. Uh, so there were some positives on defense. And then, you know, MVS. This is a player who is becoming more and more of a playmaker every single week. He's gaining Rodgers' trust more. Uh, I mentioned, uh, you know, last week that not only did MVS catch a couple of nice passes against the Rams, there were three plays early in that game against Los Angeles where they ran him deep and the, the Rams double-covered him, and it opened things underneath for other Packers receivers, and the Packers were able to hit on two or three of those. And in fact, had Rodgers had more time, they would have hit on all three. And again, MVS uh, taking coverage away, it, it was a huge part of that because they had to respect his deep ability. And now you get this game. He was the only player in this game for the Packers who had a play over 20 yards. And that was uh, obviously a 50-yard play. He finished with, you know, three catches for 101 yards on only six targets. Uh, Still some things he probably would have liked to have done a little bit better. But there's another highlight player who keeps getting better and better every single week. And the more Green Bay can get him matched up one-on-one, the better because he's making these big plays on a more consistent basis. And uh, he's really been kind of that breakout player for Green Bay on offense. It's not, you know, it's not like he's getting, you know, eight catches for 150 yards and two touchdowns or anything like that every week. But you're seeing these explosive plays and you're seeing defenses have to account where he is. So uh, kudos to MVS for having that big game once again. And then really kind of a under the radar player. Uh, Brian Bulaga went out in this game, and you are left with Byron Bell and Jason Spriggs on the right side of the offensive line. And to be fair, New England doesn't exactly have world beaters up front on the defensive line. But Jason Spriggs, who I have been completely hard on, um, you know, I think rightfully so, through his career in Green Bay, I definitely want to call him out because I thought, at least at first glance, I'll be excited to go back and look at the tape. I thought he came in and had put a really nice performance on paper. I, I didn't notice anything out of the ordinary, for, you know, or any difference from Bulaga uh, to Spriggs. In fact, you know, Bulaga actually had a couple plays early in the game where he was giving up pressures. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't notice a difference. If anything, it almost seemed a little bit better. It looked like they were maybe helping and chipping a little bit to, and, and kind of helping to his side a little bit. But again, I'm going to be excited to break down the tape on him because at, at first glance, it looked like he had his best game as a Packer. So uh, hopefully Bulaga is not out long term, but if so, uh, hopefully Jason Spriggs can learn from that performance and, and continue with the performance that he put out there today. The game-changing plays, of course, you had the Aaron Jones fumble. Uh, New England then went for the kill, and uh, like I mentioned earlier, this was an opportunity where you had to steal a game from the Patriots. It's 17-17. You're in scoring position. You give the ball to Aaron Jones, he fumbles, and, and you never get that chance again. And who knows what would have happened in either of these scenarios. Maybe even Green Bay goes down and scores a touchdown against New England instead of the fumble. Uh, There's still a quarter and a half basically left at that point, and maybe New England comes back and wins anyway. We don't know. And maybe... You know, maybe even if Ty Montgomery last week didn't fumble the ball, maybe the Packers go four and out and don't pick up a first down, or maybe they get a quick score and the Rams come down and score anyway, and, and the Rams end up eventually winning. We will never know the outcome of either of those games had those fumbles not happened. 
but it really takes uh, you know the opportunity that Green Bay had to steal one of these games away and, and really two weeks in a row. These were very similar games in a lot of ways. It was really uh, you know a defensive performance that at times looked uh, like it was you know halfway decent if not good especially against the Rams uh, but there were still a lot of yards still a lot of points the offense never really felt in great rhythm MVS made a couple of big plays and it was really a fumble that changed the game and again against the Rams against the Patriots on the road you have to be near perfect Green Bay wasn't in either game and they end with two losses because of it and you know kind of going back as well there's just now too many self-inflicted wounds and there's not enough big plays by the packers this in this state in this day and age of the NFL this is a game of game-changing plays whether it's uh, explosive plays on offense or on special teams you know we saw earlier in the year the packers were able to get a block punt and score a touchdown on it against minnesota those are big type of plays we got the big play today from mbs but for you know by far and away throughout the course of this season getting those type of big plays whether it's a turnover on defense a big kickoff or punt return in special teams or even a big explosive play on offense those plays have been really really hard to come by and then when you dump that on its head and then you are the one that's turning the ball over whether it's the fumble by Jones or Montgomery last week you've got the roughing the punter penalty today and say what you will maybe it should have just been running into the punter and not roughing the punter and either way it didn't result in points for the Patriots Uh, the defense was able to hold Um, it's those type of mistakes you know on the first drive uh, Adams really worked his way open and Aaron Rodgers missed that throw Uh, whether it's the missed tackle by Tremont Williams. When you start weighing out the really explosive big plays that the Packers are creating uh, to those that are being, you know, kind of those self-inflicted wounds or the plays that the other team is making against them, you're really in the negative there, and that's something that's got to change going forward. And it just doesn't seem, you know, whether it's these self-inflicted inflicted wounds, you've got the timeouts that are called on a first down play after a TV timeout. Um, you just don't see a ton of energy, at least positive energy, from this team. You see some from Jair Alexander, some of the rookie defensive backs. Josh Jackson has a little bit of it as well. You'll see a little bit of swagger here and there at times, but it just doesn't seem like a team that plays with a lot of positive energy and emotion and obviously if you're not winning football games it's tough to play with positive energy and emotion but you would just like to see a little bit more of that and you know this isn't trying to be the body language police or anything like that but it just doesn't seem like this team is very cohesive you know I'm a Wisconsin sports fan obviously and I've watched two teams you know now in the past year in Wisconsin you know, and even going back to last year, if you look at the 2017 Badgers, if you look at uh, the Brewers from this past season, if you look at the Bucks, the way that they're playing right now, you see this, you know, this really close knit team. You see them playing with a ton of passion and a ton of energy. I mean, you look at those three teams specifically, and then you look at the Packers. Take wins and losses out of it. If you're just looking how they're interacting with each other and how they are, you know you know, playing on the field with passion and energy, you just don't see that same level from the Packers as you do with some of these other successful teams, whether it be in football or any of the other sports that I just mentioned. So something that's that's definitely got to change going forward. From an offensive standpoint, this really looks like the same Packers offense that we've seen through the course of the season so far. Incredibly inconsistent. At times, it can look really good. Aaron Jones gets going. When Aaron Jones gets going, usually the offense looks pretty great. Uh, We saw the explosive play from MVS. Uh, 
Uh, but too many throws, really, from Aaron Rodgers, 43 passes. And this was probably going to be a game where he was going to be around that pretty much regardless. I think we probably could have easily predicted that going in. But 24 of 43, uh, 259 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. It's not a bad line by any stretch of the imagination. A ton of teams would die for a quarterback that would go 24 or 43 for 259 yards, two touchdowns, and no turnovers. But missed throws and just a lack of execution and just... I don't, I honestly, I'm going to be totally transparent. I don't know how to put my finger on exactly what's going on with this offense. The easy answer is there's no rhythm. It just doesn't seem like they're ever in a rhythm on offense. But I've watched every snap, as you guys know, for a season and a half now, all of last year, all of this year. Obviously, a, a big chunk of last year was with Brett Hundley, but something's missing. And, you know, I know. People have been on McCarthy for maybe not making the offense the easiest, and there's a piece of that. Don't get me wrong. There's absolutely that. But there are plays that I've pointed out in my film reviews and others have pointed out too where there are those open players, and they have been able to scheme players open. And sometimes they hit on it, sometimes they don't. I think Aaron Rodgers at times is a piece of this struggle right now. And I same thing, I, I wish I could tell you I had a – a magic code to answer exactly what's going on and and tell you guys and break it down verbatim of why you know he doesn't seem to be the exact same player part of its fundamentals he's throwing off his back foot a lot it looks like he's watching uh, a little bit of the line takes his eyes down from time to time you know he doesn't have the same mobility he's had since he's been injured but it's not an offense that's clicking on all cylinders they're not finding easy throws consistently enough they're not sticking with the run consistently enough those things are obvious but the fact that they haven't been able to course correct or they haven't been able to make those adjustments and now we're, uh, again, basically halfway through the season, it's it's tough to say that it's just all of a sudden going to flip the script and there's a lot of season left. But you got to think it's, you know, they got to go at least 6-2 and two to give them a shot at making the playoffs. They've got a tough schedule coming up and we'll touch base on that a little bit more in just a moment. Uh, the running backs only had 21 carries again in this game. Uh, you would like to see them get more touches. Again, this is a game that was a one-score game throughout through basically the first three quarters of this game. And there wasn't any point where they were down double digits until late in the game that they couldn't run the ball and uh, couldn't get the, you know, the ball to Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams, who also I thought ran well in this game. But again, only 21 carries. And again, I think my biggest takeaway here is it feels like it's just been the exact same offense for eight weeks now, and uh, we haven't seen a team that's been able to get going, and, and certainly an offense that you would expect with Aaron Rodgers. This is supposed to be, you know, really the best quarterback in football. Aaron Jones, we know what he's capable of. Devontae Adams is one of the best receivers in football. That's not debatable. You've got the best left tackle in football. Uh, and most of that offensive line, you know, I know there's been struggles with, uh, you know, Byron Bell and Justin McCray at right guard at times, but Corey Lindsley's played well. Lane Taylor's been up and down, but for the most part has been a net positive or at minimum neutral. And I, you know, people have been a little tough on Brian Bulaga, but again, most teams would kill for bookend tackles that are David Bakhtiari and Brian Bulaga, at least when Bulaga's been in there. And again, Spriggs played well off the bench today. So really good offensive line. I thought we saw a better performance from Jimmy Graham today. There's no excuse from a talent standpoint why this offense should not be running on all cylinders. You can flip the script on defense, and I think you can make a few more excuses there from a talent standpoint. But on offense, 
they have all the weapons that they need. And then you add in guys like MVS and Equinemius St. Brown and Randall Cobb and Jamal Williams, and they got depth. So they've got depth, they've got weapons, they've got every, you know, really piece that you would want an offense to be successful, and it hasn't been through the majority of, you know, this season so far. So it's got to change. It's it's definitely got to uh, become more aggressive. It's got to become more consistent, and they've got to find a way to run the ball with more consistency to set up some play-action stuff, which they didn't really do a, a super great job of today again. Defensively, they opened with Tremont at safety, Brashad Breland at outside cornerback. Uh, Jermaine Whitehead was kind of playing that nickel linebacker position, so Breland gets his first action. Uh, I'm going to be very intrigued to break down his tape a little bit more. At first glance, it certainly seemed like he really struggled, and that's maybe why he was unsigned and not getting a ton of playing time going in. I would have liked to have seen Josh Jackson probably play ahead of Brashad Breland, and I'm not saying that in hindsight. I would have told you that ahead of time as well. We got to see Jackson come in when Kevin King went out, but uh, you know Breland seemed to struggle certainly at first glance, and something we'll take a look at when we review the tape as well. Again, kind of the same thing as the offense. Everything was kind of the same, again, that we saw certainly against the Rams. There were ups and downs at points that looked really, really good. You know, I thought Mike Pettin stayed creative even against Tom Brady. He brought some unique pressures. But this is a defense that's been completely incapable of creating turnovers or big plays. Mike Daniels had a sack. Antonio Morrison had a sack. Those were solid. But no forced fumbles, no interceptions, no game-changing plays. And I think that's a huge issue of what's going on on defense and trying to set up the offense in short down, you know, you know, a shorter field. They haven't been able to do that. So that's been a consistent issue this season, and that stayed par for the course today. They did have the really nice goal line stand. That was a positive. They had a really nice possession where they forced the Patriots three and out. You had the special teams penalty by Tanyan, which gave Patriots new life, and then they forced another punt right after that. So good reacting to adversity there. But again, ups and downs, but 31 points for the Patriots, 433 yards of offense, no turnovers, no big plays, some missed tackles, some missed assignments, and uh, really going down 7 nothing on that first drive of the game, it just doesn't set the tone very well for success throughout the rest of the game. So I know their offense and special teams has not set them up either. This is not a team that's played good complementary football. I've called that out before. But again, it's it was up and down kind of the same performance. And if you're not improving through the 16 weeks of the NFL, uh, you're probably going to get passed up at some point. And we're starting to see that a little bit. Special teams, pretty much average day. Started off the game, of course, with a big return and a penalty right off the get-go. Don't like to see that. You had the running of the kicker penalty. Yeah, maybe it could have just been, or I guess you, it was a roughing the kicker penalty, roughing the punter. Would have liked to, to be a, just maybe a running into the punter, but you don't want to put the refs even in that situation. I thought it was borderline. I think it would have been better to be called as a running into the punter, but you don't want to put the referees in that position. And again, no real huge special teams plays uh, You know, from a special team standpoint either. I don't know that Bashad Breland's the guy that you want trying to make explosive plays as a kick returner. Same thing with Tremont as a punt returner. You have to find guys who can do that as well. Maybe we'll see Trevor Davis. I'm assuming, uh, you know, Kayser's not going to probably make it a second week as a backup punter, so they'll have a roster spot open, and maybe Trevor Davis can take that. But they've just got to find a way to make more plays in all facets of the game. Another big takeaway from this game was really the injuries. Blake Martinez had an ankle injury. He did return. 
Kevin King left the game with a hamstring injury. He did not return. Kentrell Bryce left the game. He never returned. Brian Bulaga left with a knee injury. He never returned. And then, of course, it wasn't injury-related, but you had Jermaine Whitehead, who was ejected from the game. And again, this was another game, too, where there were some questionable penalties. You had the ridiculous ejection of Jermaine Whitehead. Yeah, it's a 15-yard penalty. Yes, he should have been penalized for that. But to throw him out for a slap, I mean... I know this is player safety, but the only player you're protecting here is Jermaine Whitehead. No slap is going to hurt the guy wearing the helmet. Uh, It's only going to hurt Jermaine Whitehead's hand. So to eject him from a game for something like that is just stupid. And, uh, you know, with already having some of the injuries that Green Bay had on defense, um, and then, you know, Kevin King leaving, Martinez left for a bit, Kentrell Bryce left, not having Jermaine Whitehead because of a stupid call by a referee certainly didn't help things either. And then again, the running into the punter or roughing the punter, call it what you will. That's probably another one that went against Green Bay that could have gone the other way and maybe just been a five-yard penalty. And Green Bay would have got a little bit of better field position out of that. So where does Green Bay go from here? They're a three, four, and one team. And they've got a tough schedule coming up. And I think, you know, some of you may have seen me post this on Twitter. They are three, six, and one in the last 10 games started by Aaron Rodgers. They were 3-6 and six under Brett Hundley. Now, a couple caveats here. Of course, that 3-6-1 and one in game started includes a game that was started by Aaron Rodgers, but he was injured against Minnesota with the Anthony Barr hit, and you know Brett Hundley had to come in, and he played the majority of that game. So let's take that one out. So they were 3-5-1 and one in the last nine games with Aaron Rodgers. They were 3-6 and six with Brett Hundley. That's still only a half a game better. Now, I know wins aren't a quarterback stat, and I know that there are some extenuating circumstances here. First of all, Brett Hundley won some games, you know, an overtime game against a you know, Cleveland team that couldn't win against everyone else, and there's some games on there that, you know, it took Hundley and the Packers everything in their being to just try to win those games. But it's a striking number nonetheless to to really be three five and one in nine games completely played by Aaron Rodgers in the last nine games is really unacceptable. And I know also Aaron Rodgers has been injured for those. All right, I know against Carolina last year he was coming back from injury. He injured himself week one against Chicago, and he's really been banged up ever since. And there. You know, are certainly some plays the the game against Minnesota where if the penalty's not called against Clay, they've got another win there. So yes, there are some caveats here, but I also think that just the stat on its own merits, three five and one for Rodgers, three and six for Hundley, is also a very telling statistic. And in Aaron Rodgers' last six wins, in his last six wins as the starting quarterback of the Packers, four of them required miraculous Aaron Rodgers comebacks. You know, you had the overtime win against the Bengals with the big play to Geronimo Allison in 2017. Two weeks later, you had the game against Dallas where they won 35-31 to with the fade to Devontae Adams in the back of the end zone at the end of the game. You had the opening week win against Chicago this year, and then you had the San Francisco game this year. So four of the last six Aaron Rodgers won games required Rodgers to be basically magical at the end of the game to, to go and win those. So this is a team that's struggling to put any consistent games together. The only two real solid wins in that time period in the last two years with Aaron Rodgers starting 
was the the win against Chicago last year where they were playing them on a Thursday night, which is generally a huge advantage for the home team, and they just basically completely ran them out of the stadium. Uh, the, you know, the Bears had no chance in that game. And then the win against the Bills this year, which was an easy game, but the offense didn't play great in that game either. So how are they going to perform the rest of this stretch? Well, they've got Miami at home. They go at Seattle on a short week on a Thursday night, and then they go at Minnesota. Those next three games are going to be absolutely huge in determining where Green Bay goes from here. Five of their next six games are against teams that are at or above 500 in record. And really, again, as I mentioned earlier, you're probably looking at needing to go 6-2 and two to have a shot at the playoffs, which would get you to 9-6-1. and one. There's no guarantee that that gets you in. You might have to go 7-1 and one in your last eight to guarantee that you will get in the playoffs. And even then, you're looking at a... Ro- or, Maybe you're looking at a home game in the you know because you won the division at that point, but it's a much more likely scenario where you may be looking at a road game as a wild card team and having to go three games on the road to try to get you know anywhere past that. And there's a little bit of Jim Moore here. We're talking about playoffs, playoffs really, but um, you know they're going to have to go on a pretty serious run against a pretty tough schedule at least in their next six games to try to make this happen. And I'm not sure that they've got that in them. I, I think those games, the, the short week against Seattle on a Thursday night, I think that's a lot tougher game than maybe some people realize. And then, of course, the Minnesota game on the road, too. And they've played a lot of games on the road in a five-game stretch. This is a must-win against Miami. If they lose this, I mean, things could unravel really, really fast. And Adam Gaze has had some success with the Bears against the Packers, even in Green Bay. So that's going to be a tough game, too. And especially if they get Ryan Tannehill back, if he's still out, they're going to catch a little bit of a break there. But there's no guarantees with any of this schedule upcoming. Again, five of the next six are against teams that are above 500. My last kind of uh, topic for today is I want to touch base on the coaching for just a little bit. So Green Bay decided this offseason, obviously, moving on from Ted Thompson, moving on from their offensive and defensive coordinators, a ton of changes, but Mike McCarthy was the constant. He was the person who stayed uh, through, you know, and amidst all of it. And I was okay, certainly, with keeping on Mike McCarthy as the head coach because they were jettisoning their, their offensive coordinator, their defensive coordinator, and the idea was to obviously get some fresh ideas and some fresh thoughts in the building. As excited as I was about Mike Pettin replacing Dom Capers, I thought that was going to be the MVP, you know, transaction or addition of this offseason, that change going from Capers to Pettin. And it hasn't obviously really been that, but I think he's done a nice job. The jury's still out. They've only got three really plus players on defense with Daniels, Clark, and Jair Alexander. Kenny Clark's probably the only Pro Bowl caliber player. Uh, at least that's probably going to make the Pro Bowl on this roster. You could maybe group Mike Daniels in there, but he's probably a little bit of a step behind that based on his performance so far this year. But Clark's not an all-pro. He's a Pro Bowl caliber player. Daniels and Jire are really, really good players. And then you've got mostly guys who are okay. You've got a Blake Martinez, Kevin King when he's healthy. Um, but Tremont and Clay are getting past their prime. Nick Perry's done nothing. You don't you don't have plus safeties. You're really kind of behind the eight ball from a talent standpoint. So I give Mike Pettin a pass. But as excited as I was about Mike Pettin, I was equally as disappointed about the offensive coordinator choice. And this is nothing against Joe Philbin. In fact, I think Joe Philbin's a good coach. I think he's a pretty good offensive mind. But I think he was the absolute last thing that the Packers needed. 
I actually think for the most part, and I know especially after today and especially after the stat I just gave with how they've won with Rodgers in the last nine games, a lot of people are going to disagree with this. But I actually think Mike McCarthy does a good job for the most part keeping the ship fairly steady and you know running the organization. We've seen some of the things that new coaches have come out. We've seen a Hugh Jackson. We've seen a John Gruden, what he's doing in Oakland. Be careful what you wish for when you want a new coach. And there's no question in my mind that if and when the Packers move on from Mike McCarthy, he will get a job immediately. And I think he will go on to have you know a pretty successful career wherever he goes. But I thought the worst thing for him and the worst thing for this franchise this offseason was bringing on Joe Philbin and not bringing in an offensive coordinator that was going to have control of the offense and and really bring a ton of new ideas, uh, a, a ton of new plays, some creativity. Joe Philbin was basically brought in as an extension of Mike McCarthy. And yes, at times I thought in the past he was maybe a little bit more of a check and balance on Mike McCarthy. That hasn't been the case this year. Uh, I don't think anything's changed. One of the things I was most excited about this offseason is when I heard they were going to completely tear down the playbook and rebuild it. Well, it was like they basically had a structure of Legos and they tore it down and then they built it using the same structure of Legos, but in slightly different spots. Like, it, it, or, you know, it, it just wasn't anything earth shattering or new that they've brought from a creativity standpoint, at least nothing that's been overly successful up until this point. And I think that really may end up being kind of the nail in the coffin for where this team is headed and, and for Mike McCarthy going forward, because this has got to change. When you've got Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, the expectations are higher. And I'll be the first to tell you, I think Aaron Rodgers is a piece of this. I think he needs to play better, and I think there's things that he is doing uh, with the offense that are not always conducive to success, and maybe we can get into those in full in another day. But when you have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, the expectations are understandably higher, and if you are not living up to those expectations, then you have to find somebody who will reach those expectations, and a new coach and a new regime, and I know it's buyer beware, And I know you have to be careful what you wish for because there are a ton of really bad coaches out there. And a a Ray Rhodes or a Mike Sherman could set you back just as much after a Mike Holmgren. But something's got to give. And I don't think you can keep going status quo with the coaching the way that it is. And again, I think Mike McCarthy's a good coach. I think he'll land on his feet somewhere else. Um, And I think he deserves a ton of credit for what he's accomplished in Green Bay but I think it's stale. I think it's overdone. I think it lacks creativity. I don't think him and Rodgers are on the same page or that he's getting the most out of Aaron Rodgers. And I think that's ultimately going to be the most damning thing and the thing that really sets it apart and really sets Green Bay to move on from Mike McCarthy. There's a lot of season left and they still have everything ahead of them that they want to accomplish. I don't see it happening. Uh, you know, I'm all the power to if you want to stay positive, and I, I would love to be wrong. I hope they go on a big run and make the playoffs, and if that's the case, that's fantastic, and maybe make a deep run into the playoffs. But they got a tough schedule. They're behind the eight ball, and if nothing changes, it would seem like it would be time to move on from Mike McCarthy. Obviously, only time will tell. Packers will get back uh, at home and host the Dolphins this Sunday in really a must-win game. Uh, the team will be uh, the, the team at the Packaday Podcast will be reviewing Pat's Patriots and breaking down Dolphins Packers as the week goes on. Definitely make sure to listen in throughout the rest of the week uh, to make sure that you get everyone's takes on what's exactly going wrong, what's going right, and what Green Bay needs to do to right the ship going forward. 
The last thing I want to touch base on today, uh, as you may have heard last Friday, we hit our 100th episode. I just really wanted to take the time today to thank the team that's put all these podcasts together. Uh, Ross Uglum, Zach Jacobson, Jacob Morley, Jake Turner, Tyler Grezegorik, Andrew Murtag, Janelle Mackey, Trevor Jossart, Kyle Fellows, Daniel Kotnick, Dusty Evely, Steve Perhack, uh, Jacob Westendorf, Josh Zirkel, Mark Eckel, Matub, of course Matub, Chris Schimmel, Matt Freilich, Mike Wentlint, and Nick Schmitz. I can't tell you guys how awesome they've been. They really have full creative control. They do everything on their own. They book their own guests. I give them a schedule you know, at the beginning of the month and uh, let them know to try to get the podcast to me by 10 p.m. every night so I can upload it, and they do the rest. Every single day, every single week, when somebody's out, when somebody's sick, when somebody's getting married. Heck, we've had a couple marriages where um, Jacob did his, I think, the night before his wedding, and I think Ross did his, the same thing, either the night or two nights before his wedding. Uh, Our team is dedicated. They're absolutely phenomenal. I couldn't be more proud of all the work they're doing. So thank you to all of them. Make sure to give them a follow on Twitter. Um, Find them. I tweeted it out earlier this week. You can find all of their um, Twitter handles, so make sure and do that. I also want to thank all the amazing guests that we've had so far. Ben Fennell, Justice Mosqueda, Jack Wepfer, Tom Crabtree, Aaron Nagler, Aldo Gandia, Michelle Bruton, Joe Marino, Aaron Underwood, Sarah Kelleher, Corey Benke, Kent Swanson, Jeremy Vanderlinden, and Brian Caravu. We've got a lot more still coming this year. It's a 365-day-a-year podcast. We're not even to, you know, 125 days yet, so there's a lot of really exciting stuff coming Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. If you haven't yet, subscribe, like us, give us some positive comments. That really helps us. Most importantly, tell a friend. There's a lot of people I'm sure who haven't heard of the Packaday Podcast. If you like it, make sure to tell them. It helps us a ton. We appreciate all of you listeners so incredibly much. I appreciate it so incredibly much. Thank you. You're the absolute best. Thanks for listening. I know these games are frustrated, but as always, no matter what, no matter the scenario, no matter who's coaching, no matter who fumbled, go Pack Go. Six seconds to go. Ball just outside the four. Roger shotgun looks to his right. Snap to A-Rod. Throws right side. Yes! Touchdown! And a dagger! Aaron pointing to the right now, gets the snap, looking, throws left side of the end zone, leaping right yes! at the back, yes! touchdown Green Bay, a spectacular throw and catch to the left side of the end zone. Rodgers from the 42 New York, fourth down and two, snap to A-Rod, looking downfield, scrambles right, now winds up, rainbows into the end zone, it is caught. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.